Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Let's uh, take our Bibles here this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 86 this morning. And for the month of November, we've been uh, taking some time here, and we're going to be looking at some selected psalms. These are psalms that I would refer to as uh, psalms of thanksgiving, because a lot of it has to do with thanks and uh, praise and uh, things like that. And these psalms really help us learn more about who God is. I think it's really important that we think about who God is, we meditate on who God is, we dwell upon who God is, because when we think about his glory, we think about his grandeur, we think about uh, the greatness of who God is, it does something for us. It changes us. It changes our attitude. It changes our hearts. Um, and it helps us live the life that uh, God uh, desires for us to live. And uh, so we're going to read here uh, Psalm 86 here this morning. And really, this is a, this is a prayer of praise and thanksgiving uh, from David. But let's go ahead and uh, read it here. David writes, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Untie my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God. With my whole heart, I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a good, are a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Now this is a prayer of David. This is a this is a psalm, a, a prayer of David. And this is a, a prayer that, as you can see, it's done in earnest. 
Um, he, he's, he's pleading before God. He's, he's, he's making his declaration before God, and he's, he's pouring out uh, his heart. And it's, a, it's a, really a heartfelt cry from a very desperate man in a time where he desperately needs God. And you can see David here as he pours out his heart, almost in a way as he is kind of laying hold of God. And I believe that's because David knew God very well. He knew about his works. He knew about what God had done and has seen. And so you see this, uh, this psalm here. If you go through the, through the verses, you actually find 15 different requests from David. So as David's pouring out his heart, he's asking God for 15 separate things to do in his life. Now this psalm can be divided up into four sections. Uh, if you look at verses 1 through 7, you see David crying out in great need for God to hear and act on his behalf. Verses 8 through 10, I believe, is really the key passage to kind of unlocking this, this psalm here because in a deliberate statement of praise, David proclaims God as the only true God, the Lord of the nations. Now, this praise, I believe, is very deliberate because even though there doesn't seem to be any deliverance when you read through this psalm, you don't see David saying, oh, God, yes, you have delivered me, or God, yes, you have done this, or God, you, right? You, you don't see that. But David, even though there is no deliverance, he still praises God. Now, I think that's very important because even in our lives, when we are going through difficulties and troubles, and there doesn't seem to be any deliverance, there doesn't seem to be any answer to the prayer, is God still worthy enough to be praised and thanked? See, that's, that's important, I think, in, in what we see uh, in this uh, psalm. In verses 11 through 13, David asks God to teach him his way and to untie his heart to fear God's name so that he will glorify his name forever. And then in verses 14 through 17, in light of his fierce enemies that David has, I mean, he's being pursued by a band of ruthless men, he says, uh, David again appeals to God's mercy and grace to deliver him. Now, there's many things and lessons that we can take away from this psalm, but I really want to focus on giving praise and thanksgiving to the only true and living God. And so this is what I want you to take away with you today. Praise and thank God for who he is because there is no God like our God. Praise and thank God for who he is because there is no God like our God. So let's look at a few things here about this. Number one, praise and thank God. Why? Because you can pray to him. This alone should drive us to praising and thanking God. We can and should pray to God. David knew God. David knew he could pray to God. Notice how David begins all of this. In verse 1, he says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Look at verses uh, 2 and also uh, verse number 16. He says, Preserve my life, for I am godly. 
Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. The fact that he cries out for God to save him shows that David knew that he could not save himself. Look at verse number 7. In the day of my trouble, what is he going to do? Call his friends? Trust in his own flesh? What does David do? In the time of my trouble, what? I call upon you, for you answer me. And so he mentions this day of trouble. Look at verse number 14. Oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. And so he mentions specifically this band of ruthless, violent men that were seeking his life. Remember, David is on the run, right? He's running from King Saul. He's running from the army of King Saul. They are, they are hunting him, hunting him, trying to find him to kill him. And so he is running. And David was deeply aware of this great need, which drove him to earnest prayer. God was David's dependence, is he ours? In times of trouble, is God your dependence? Is he the only one that we trust in? Why could David still praise God even though his prayers might not have been answered? Well, because I believe David knew who God was and had complete confidence and trust in him regardless of his circumstances. All of us in here have great needs. All of us do. Every single one of you has a great need. Can I tell you we have a great God? We have a great God that can, can fulfill and satisfy the great needs that we have in our lives. And it's because of those great needs, I believe, that drove David to prayer. And I'm telling you, as is David and other faithful witnesses in Scripture and countless testimonies of men and women of God, that our God is sufficient in times of our greatest needs. Now, this message is not a message on prayer, although we could certainly draw several applications for prayer from this psalm. But could it be that the reason why our praise and thankfulness to God is so lacking in our life is because we don't know our God through prayer, meaning that we don't spend time with God in prayer, and so we don't know him as the way that we should, and so therefore our praise and thankfulness to him is not where it should be. David was a very needy man, and he needed to lay hold onto something stronger and firmer than his own methods to try to fix his problems. The truth is our pride often blinds us to how needy we really are so that we really rely on ourselves or on other people or on some godless method to get us out of our troubles. So finally, when nothing else has worked, what do we say? Well, <laughs> I guess I should pray about it. And sometimes we, we think of it as being our very last resort, but in reality it should be our first resort. The great Puritan uh, John Bunyan once said, You can do more than pray after you have prayed, 
but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Prayer really is our declaration to God saying, God, you alone are the only one that I can trust in. And so when we don't pray, what are we doing? We are still declaring to God and we are saying to God, God, I can do this myself. I don't need you when we don't pray. All of us are blinded by our own pride. Those that don't know Christ, they are unwilling to cry out to God to save them from their sin. Why? Because they don't see the great, their great need of Christ. They don't see their, their need as, as sinners before a holy God. They sometimes maybe look at their sin and they say, well, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad as compared to these other people. And our pride sometimes blinds us from that reality. And I believe as Christians, too, our pride blinds us to the reality that we need God in prayer as well. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Our pride blinds us to the fact that we need God on a constant basis. It blinds us to the fact that we have an adversary that is roaring, roaming around trying to, to devour us. We overlook the strong appeal of indwelling sin that lurks within all of us, is what Galatians 5.17 teaches us. We don't recognize our own selfishness, which undermines our relationships in the family and in the church. We need God. We really do. And so we need to come to him in prayer, and we need to be seeking him. But our God is worthy of praise and thanksgiving because we can pray to him. Could it also be that the reason why we don't pray is because we don't see that God is our greatest need? See, I think sometimes we, we, we get blinded by the fact that it's not that I need this and I need this and I need this and I need this or I need this situation to work out this way or I need this to happen this way or I need to make sure that this is going to happen this way. Your greatest need is God himself. Not for God to fix the situations, not for God to fix the problems. Our greatest need is to have God. And I believe that's what David was seeing here. And he's saying, God, I need you. I need you. And so perhaps our first prayer should be, God, show me how great you are so that I will trust you more. Here's a second reason why we can praise and thank God is because he is the only true God, great in power, love, grace, and mercy. This psalm is really overflowing with God's attributes. When I say the word attributes, that's just the big theological word we use to talk about God's character. Okay? So for example, God is love. Right? That's, that's who God is. God is love. God is merciful. God is gracious. Okay? Uh, God is all-knowing. Uh, God is all-powerful. Right? These are his attributes. And you can see some of these attributes that, that David makes mention of here in this psalm is what he starts talking about, who our God is. And so God always reveals who he is throughout his word. David knew who God was. How did David know that? 
Because I believe David spent time in the Word. I believe David saw God's power at work. I believe David was reminded often of what God had done. David knew God. God has not changed, nor will he ever change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I strongly believe that by knowing more and more of who God is, that gives way for us to praise and thank him. When we know more about his attributes and not just facts about his attributes, but when we experience his mercy, when we experience his grace, his great power, his faithfulness and goodness, it does something for us. It changes us. It's real. It's laying hold of who God really is. It's knowing his attributes and his promises gives us great hope to endure this life and all of its troubles and difficulties and gives us great confidence to live for him. Now in this psalm, David declares to God, this is who you are. To us who are reading this, this is really a, a constant faithful reminder of who God is. Notice how David begins this praise to God. Verse 5, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. That's our God. He is good and he is forgiving. Abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. You see, when we come before our God, we must know that he is good, ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon him. Look what else David says about God's attribute. Verse number 15. But you, O Lord, are a good, are, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We must know that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness or truth. So get the picture here. David has some great needs in his life. I mean, you see them all, right? All these 15 requests that he's, that he's asking God for. Here's my needs, God. This is what I need. 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 And he has all these several enemies, and he's declaring to God, God, this is who you are. Now make the connection. I believe the hardest times that we have in life is when we are going through a trouble or a trial or a difficulty in life, and all we can see, all we can see is the trial, the difficulty, the trouble. The trial, the difficulty, the trouble. There's no way out. I can't go this way. I can't go this way. I can't go. Th There's no way out. And God says, take your eyes off of the trial, the difficulty, and the trouble, and turn your eyes where? To me, a God who is loving and kind and faithful and good and merciful and gracious to us. What does that do for us? Does it change the trial, the difficulty, or the trouble? No! But it helps us turn our eyes to Him and to trust in Him, even if the trial and the difficulty and the trouble do not change. But can I tell you? Those things are only temporary. 
Our God is eternal. And those things will pass away. They're not forever. And so David is praising and thanking God for who he is. God, I trust you because this is who you are. I'm going to leave the outcome to you because you are good and forgiving. You, God, are merciful and gracious and abound unwaveringly in love and faithfulness. Notice some other things that David mentions here about God's attributes. God is the only true God great in power. David exclaims this really in verses 8 through 10. And David is so settled on who God is that he's, he, 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 he wants to, to, to help us understand this. In fact, God, David is so focused on God, he actually uses the name of God, or uh, another name, Adonai, for Lord. He uses that name nine times throughout this psalm. You find it in verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 8, verse 9, verse 12, and verse 15. And so he's so settled on this. Notice what he says, verses 8 through 10. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. When you think about that, when you think about who God is, that he is the only true God great in power, David is emphasizing God's sovereignty, that he alone, when we talk about the word sovereignty, it means that God rules. God alone is the king. God alone is God Lord of over all. He alone rules and he is sovereign. He made the nations. He he has ordained that they will all come and worship before him. He is great and does wondrous deeds. The Lord alone is God. Folks, America is not God. Washington is not God. The Democrats are not God. The Republicans are not God. Hollywood is not God. People that have a huge following on social media are not God. Professional ball players are not God. You are not God. I am not God. There is only one God, and that is the Lord, the heaven of all creation. And that is God, the only one, the true and living God. And David says, basically, God, you are the only one. That's it. There are no other gods before you. None. Notice what David says here about these gods. Verse 8. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. And by referring to the gods, I believe David means the idols of heathen worship. We find that Satan is called the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4 and also John uh, 12.31. And yes, there are many false gods in this world, but they do not have power like our God. Did you even know that Satan, and, and he is powerful, 
But did you know that he cannot do anything unless he gets permission from God? So yeah, he has power, but he's not as powerful as our God. Revelation 29 through 10 reminds us that God will bring fire down from heaven to destroy his enemies. Satan and all the demons will be thrown into the lake of fire where they will be tormented forever and ever. And now, and even now before that time, we are assured is what 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so this should give us great opportunity to praise and thank God, although the forces of darkness are powerful, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, against powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, right? It's there, but it's not as powerful as our God is. He is far more powerful over anything, and he is great in power. Notice what else David brings out about God's attributes here. God is great in love, grace, and mercy. Notice also David tells us about these things. Look what he says, verse 3, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Verse 16, he asks again, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Then we have twice again David saying, God, this is who you are. Look at verse 5. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, if you have a good study Bible, verse 15 is really interesting, okay? Because in verse 15, David is actually quoting a passage out of Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7, where God revealed himself to Moses. And here is how God made himself known to Moses. This is what the passage says. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. That passage out of Exodus about how God reveals himself is one of the most frequently quoted texts in the Old Testament. You can find it used in Numbers 14, 18, Nehemiah 9, 17, Psalms 103, uh, verse number 8, and Psalm 145, verse number 8, Joel chapter 2, verse 13, and Jonah chapter 4, verse number 2. But here in in, uh, Psalm 86, 5, David uses it to appeal to God to answer his prayer. Look at verse 5 again. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. How did David know that God was good and forgiving? Because he's seen the history of it. And he's saying, God, this is who you are, and I'm praising you for who you are, and I'm reminding you of who you are because I want to praise you. I want to give thanks to you because you are great in love, grace, and mercy. And David prays in verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Anytime that you see things repeated over and over and over in Scripture, it's important. How many of you dads remember, how many times have I told you, right, 
We want to drill it into their head. Come on, you got to get, got to get with the program. You got to do this. You got to do this. God does the same thing. He repeats it over and over and over. Why? Because we are so prone to forget who God is. We forget that God is loving. We forget that God is gracious. We forget that God is merciful. I know that sounds absurd, but it's the truth. It's the reality. And we got to keep our eyes focused on God. And so this should give us great confidence in who our God is. This provides us with a sure basis to approach his throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need is what Hebrews 4.16 teaches us. And if you've never come to God through Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible is very clear that we can come to him, that we can turn to him, and we can trust in him alone for salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10, right? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so we turn to God, we turn to him because he is loving, because he's merciful, because he's gracious because he is slow to anger, because he's faithful. He is the only Savior. He's the only one that we can turn to and trust. And if as a Christian you have failed God by sinning, he invites you to come for forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Time and time again, we can come to him over and over and over. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we can trust in him over and over and over and over and over. He is good. He is merciful. He is gracious. He's great in love, grace, and mercy. Here's the last thing. Praise and thank God because he saves, teaches, and reigns as king over all. Notice what David says in verses 2 and verse 16. He says, preserve my life for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. David asked God to save him. In David's circumstance, he was asking God to save him and deliver him from his enemies. Okay? You, you, you can see that, right? You can see David being pursued, David being chased, he's being hunted for his life, and he's asking God, God, preserve my life, save me. And we can get that. But really, really, what is the real enemy? Death. Death is the real enemy. Sin is the real enemy. Satan's the real enemy. We need to turn to God and ask him to save us. Save us from death. Save us from our sin. Save us from Satan, right? And that's exactly what Jesus did, right? Jesus came. He lived on this earth. He went to the cross. He bore our sin debt on himself. He took your sin. He took my sin. And he died. 
The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. The judgment that we so rightfully deserve was poured out on Jesus. And Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again. Jesus defeated death. Jesus defeated sin. Jesus defeated Satan. And he's the only one that we can cry out to for salvation. And so we should praise and thank God because he saves us. Jesus came as the Savior. He didn't come to save decent people who just need a boost in their self-esteem. He came to save sinners. And if you've never cried out to God for salvation, that is your main need, to turn to God, to turn to Christ. Here's what else David prays for. Verse 4, gladden the soul of your servants. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. We ought to praise God and thank God that he is the one who helps us change the attitude of our hearts. Did you know we don't have to be mean and grouchy and cantankerous people? Did you know you can actually change the attitude of your hearts? You can. You have to make that decision. And David says, Lord, I want you to gladden my heart. Make a change in my heart. Look at verse number 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Untie my heart to fear your name. Now, there's some wonderful and helpful truth here to helping us learn how to praise and thank God. David asked a request, teach me your way, I will walk in your truth, untie my heart to fear your name. In any trial, any trial, a teachable heart is essential. Because either we will harden our necks, stiffen them up, or we will be teachable. Either you're going to be a rocking horse, or you're going to be clay. Which one? And David says, Lord, I want you to teach me your ways. Ask God what you should be learning about him and about yourself in the difficult situation. Most of us instinctively pray for what? Quick deliverance. Lord, just deliver me, deliver me, deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. Take this, take this, take this, take this. I don't want this. I don't need this. God, I need this. I don't, I don't want this. I don't want that. I don't want this. I don't want that. What about just asking God, God, why don't you teach me something about yourself in the midst of this trial? That's what David was praying for. And that will change our praise and our thanksgiving to God. David prays that he will learn God's way so that he will walk in obedience to God's truth. He prays that his loyalty will not be scattered or divided. Notice what he says here that I may walk in your truth, verse 11, untie my heart to fear your name. What is your heart tied to? What other things is your heart tied to? David says, I want to be of single purpose, of single mind. God, I want to be focused on you. I don't want my heart over here and over here and to this and to that and to this. He says, untie these things from me. He says, I just want my heart directed towards you. And the end result of that, he says, to fear your name. And I believe that he wants to be wholly devoted to God and 
The result of that is praise and thanksgiving because he has a fear or reverence for God's name. Can I ask you, are we praising and thanking God for the trials? I know that sounds absurd, but are we? Are we asking God to teach us something about himself during those trials? It's important to do that. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and what? My life to be happy. No, let me continue. The power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Lastly, praise and thank God that he reigns over all. Check out verses 9 and 12. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Verse 12, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. David actually prophesies that all nations will worship before God and glorify his name. Every wicked nation, every wicked nation will bow before God and worship him and praise him because he has made all the nations. He alone is king over all. He alone is sovereign over all. And we need to remember that God reigns as king over all. So in all of our troubles, we should always be looking for ways to magnify the Lord. Always. How can I glorify God in this trial, in this tribulation? What can I praise God and thank God for in this trial and this tribulation? And so I come back to an important question. In this psalm, we don't see the deliverance and rescue of David, but yet he still praised and thanked God for who he is. Are we praising and thanking God, him, thanking him for who he is, even though the trials, the difficulties, the trouble is not turning out the way that we think that it should turn out? Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.